Section 45 of Four and Twenty Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Appendix The Count de Calais by James Plachet. Anne Claude de Toubière de Grimaud de Pastille de Levy, Comte de Calais, was born in Paris in 1692 and died the 3rd of September 1765. He entered the French army early and distinguished himself in Catalonia and at the siege of Freiburg. After the Peace of Rassault, he visited Italy and in 1717 went to the Levant in the suite of the ambassador of France to the sublime port. During this journey he undertook an adventure which proves his courage as well as his love of art. On arriving at Smyrna, he was anxious to profit by the necessary delay of a few days to visit the ruins of Ephesus, which are about twelve hours' journey from that place. The neighborhood was at that time infested by a band of brigands, the chief of which was the notorious and terrible Caracayoi. The roads were exceedingly unsafe for travelers, but the Count de Calais was not to be daunted. He provided himself with a dress made simply of sailcloth, and carrying nothing about him that could tempt the most petty thief he sought out two of the band of Caracayoi, and bargained with them for a safe conduct from Smyrna to Ephesus, and back again, the money to be paid only on his return. It being their interest to take care of him, he found them the most faithful guides in the world. Caracayoi, on learning the object of his journey, politely offered to assist his researches. He informed the Count that in the neighborhood of his retreat there were some ruins well worthy his inspection, and to expedite his visit to them he mounted him and one of his guides on two fine Arabian horses. The ruins proved to be those of Colophon. The Count returned to the retreat of Caracalloy and passed the night there and the next morning proceeded to the site of the ancient city of Ephesus, from whence he was safely conducted back to Smyrna by the brigands, each party well satisfied with their bargain. After his return to France in 1717, he made several other journeys abroad and paid two visits to London. At Paris he occupied himself with drawing, music, painting, writing, and sculpture. He wrote the lives of mo the most celebrated painters and sculptors of the Royal Academy, and founded in that academy an annual prize for the students who were the most successful in expressing the passions. In 1742 he was elected an honorary member of l'Académie de Inscriptions, in which he founded another prize of 500 livres for the best essays on the manners and customs of the ancients. He formed a splendid collection of Etruscan, Greek, Roman, and Gaulish antiquities, 
and an account of which was published seven volumes four chapters the last in seventeen sixty seven by monsieur le beau he discovered the ancient art of encaustic painting and of tingling marble from hints in the works of the elder pliny but all this occupation and study did not prevent this eminent scholar and antiquary from indulging in the lighter pursuits of literature he did not disdain to acknowledge the fascination of a fairy tale or to contribute to the number of them i have selected three from his fairies novelle which are in my judgment the best and display the greatest variety of style and power of imagination the first princess minute and king floridor la princess minute and the roy floridor is written in a spirit of playful satire which reminds one of those sprightly characters of fairy tales which flowed so pleasantly from the pen of count hamilton but unlike la Belliere and le fleur d'epine of that accomplished satirist princess minute and king floridor presents us with a sound and serious morale which at this moment when the sacrifice of important interests to routine and etiquette has caused so much amiadversion is singularly apropos it also reads a pleasant lesson to those who neglect or misuse the great means and opportunities which it has pleased providence to to bestow upon them and amidst all its whimsical extravagances never ceases to whisper in the words of solomon go to the ant though sluggard consider her ways to be wise floridor was the name of a celebrated french actor of the seventeenth century in le temple du destin written by le sage and acted at the fair of st laurent in seventeen fifteen the high priest of destiny observes upon the vanity of an actor tout ce qui relute ne pas or il autou ce génie chassant ce quoi un floridor la plaisante manie the impossible enchantment le enchantment impossible is an amusing story with one blemish which i have ventured to correct by the omission of half a dozen lines and the suppression of an unnecessary indelicacy unlike the last this is a mere work of fancy without any particular object a sort of illustration of the old song and saying love will find out the way the merman and his sister would seem to point out a breton origin for this story as the belief in these marine marvels is strong upon the coast of brittany where the females are called morgan sea women or morvdi sea daughters and are supposed to draw down to their places of gold and crystal at the bottom of the ocean those who venture imprudently too near the edge of the water but the count de Calus was too well acquainted with the classical tritons and sirens to render it necessary for him to draw upon the legends of amorica for such materials 
and it is probable the story is entirely of his own invention. The absurd fashions in hairdressing glanced at in this story by the introduction of a fairy with her hairdress en chifu are commented upon in a little volume called Histoire de la Mode Française, Amsterdam and Paris, 1773. The number of these frissures, says the writer, is almost infinite. Every year, every month produces new ones. We have seen, in succession, hair-dressed, en bequil, crutch fashion, un grain de epards, spinach fashion, and baton repos, broken stick. Yesterday it was un ale de pigeon. Today it is un tobacco. Bluette and Coquelicot. Bluette and Coquelicot is a charming fairy tale of the pastoral order, unexceptionable in its style, and salutary in its instruction. I have only to add, in further illustration of the headdress of Arganto, page 360, that the foreign marshal powder was advertised in 1781 at 16 shillings per pound by R. Languine at the sign of the Rose opposite New Round Court, Strand, and that receipts for making it occur as late as in Gray's supplement to the Pharmacopoeia in 1836. The author of L'Histoire de Mode Française, quoted above, says he does not despair of one day seeing rose-colored hair powder, blue heads, etc., and in Plocanimos, 1781, we actually find receipts for making yellow, rose-pink, and black hair powder, while Goldsmith, in his Citizen of the World, Letter 3, mentions both black and blue. End of section 45 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.